Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Ripley's Believe It or Not, From Russia to Terrorists. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. Yes, today we're going to be having a succession of stories, uh, which all seem to fall under the heading of Ripley's Believe It or Not. So we're going to start from Russia to um, terrorist threats. We're going to start with what's going on in Russia. In other words, Ripley's Believe It or Not, in other words, things that you might think, what? <laughs> you know, that's happening? So, all right, let's start with Russia. And the um, title story or the headline is, Spurred by Putin, Russians turn on one another over the war. We don't really hear that much about what is going on in Russia in terms of how Russians are feeling about the war. There was an article recently about um, some people uh, cutting up their Chanel handbags. Um, we're talking about the elite who can afford Chanel handbags. Um, they were angry that Chanel wasn't going to be letting or opening their stores, keeping their stores open in Russia. So they, there were pictures of them um, cutting up their Chanel bags in protest. Now, that's smart, right? You can't buy more because Chanel closed their stores because of, in Russia because of the war, so you cut up the ones you have. Does not make sense. Okay, but now let me tell you about some of the things that are going on in Russia um, in terms of how people are turning on each other. So the first story is that of Marina Dubrova. She is an English teacher, and she showed a, a YouTube video recently to her eighth grade class. And um, in, this, in this video, uh, children in, in Russian and in Ukrainian sing about a world without war. So she was, she was um, doing this to uplift the kids in her class. But after she played it, there was a group of girls who stayed behind during recess and who started asking her all about what she thought about war, what she thought about Ukraine, and so on. And uh, she said, the teacher said, Ukraine is a separate country, a separate one. Now, she's 57 years old, um, just to, you know, just for a little more about her. And... Um, and so she said, Ukraine is a separate country. It's a separate one. And one of the girls shot back to her, no longer. And then a few days later, the police came to her school and um, they took her to court. And in court, she heard a recording of the conversation in her class. Apparently, one of her students were rec was recording it. And so, um, you know, that's been happening more and more lately in America, as well as uh, Russia and, and, and France, all over. Um, 
So the uh, the judge gave her a $400 fine for, quote, publicly discrediting, unquote, Russia's armed forces. And then the school fired her for, quote, immoral behavior. Now, here she was just trying to play this uplifting video, you know, trying to make the students feel better, trying to, you know, the message was peace. Uh, and the, the students, eighth grade students, did not like that. And so um, the teacher said, uh, since all this happened, she said, it's as though they've all plunged into some kind of madness. Uh, you know, she's talking about how there's such a pro-war mood. Now, not everybody in Russia is pro-war, obviously, but um, but um, but there are a surprising number that are. Now, she um, so when this happened, or after this happened, uh, after she was fined, one of her former students raised $150 in a day for her before the teacher told her to stop and said that she would pay the fine herself. And then the teacher handed the money over to a local dog shelter. So, I mean, you know, it, each of these stories that I'm going to tell you about, there's a, a positive and a negative, um, which shows, which is reflective of the, the two different sides that the people, the Russians, are taking in Russia. Um, now, there is an increasing paranoia. You know, I've talked about in pre my previous podcast about how I've diagnosed Putin as being paranoid, and now it is spreading to the Russian people. There is a building paranoia and a polarization of Russian people, and people are um, turning on each other and denouncing each other, re reporting each other to the authorities. And um, so not only are students turning in their teachers, they're also telling on their neighbors and even diners at the next table. Now, part of this came about, or a lot of it, you know, it's this, of course, originating with Putin. Um, but then these laws are making it possible for the people to be punished who are being turned in. Now, in on March 16th, Putin gave a speech. And he said that Russian society needed a, quote, self-purification, unquote, in which people would, quote, distinguish true patriots from scum and traitors and simply spit them out like a fly that accidentally flew into their mouths. <laughs> let me let me <laughs> repeat that. Putin was saying that um, that Russia needed self-purification and where people, the Russian people, would distinguish true patriots from scum and traitors and simply spit them out like a fly that accidentally flew into their mouths. No, you got to give it to Putin for being literary. <laughs> a fly that accidentally flew into their mouths. That's what he wants to do with the scum and traitors. Um, he wants the pure Russians to do with the scum and traitors. Now, also in March, Putin signed a law that punishes public statements contradicting the government line on what the Kremlin calls its, quote, special military operation in Ukraine. And the punishment can be as much as 15 years in prison. So let me tell you the story of another teacher who has uh, 
known the wrath of these laws and fines. Um, another English teacher, Irina Jin, um, she, when she came to class one day recently, she found a giant Z scrawled on the chalkboard. Um, of course, Z, as you presumably know, is the symbol of support for the war. And, you know, people have, have come up with all kinds of uh, explanations for what the Z stands for, convoluted explanations, when clearly it means Zelensky. I mean, like, he, it's, it's uh, you know, it's on uh, Russian military vehicles. It's on all kinds of things um, that Russia has been bringing into Ukraine. And like, duh, <laughs> you know, it's saying we're going to get you Zelensky. And, of course, we know that there are, um, he has literally sent people in to assassinate Zelensky. So what else could the Z be? Um, anyway, this teacher told her class that it looked like half a swastika. Then later on, an eighth grader asked her why Russia was being banned from sports competitions in Europe. And this teacher said, I think that's the right thing to do. Until Russia starts behaving in a civilized manner, this will continue forever. Um, and then a girl said, but we don't know all the details. Uh, you know, she's referring to the war. And the teacher said, that's right. You don't know anything at all. Now, uh, there was apparently a student in that class recording this conversation. And it appeared on a popular account on Telegram. Um, the Federal Security Service, which is a successor agency to the KGB, called in this teacher and warned her that her words blaming Russia for the bombing of a maternity hospital um, in Ukraine last month were, quote, 100% a criminal case. Now, I think pretty much the whole world, um, of course, Russian, Russia has been, um, you know, there's limited media. Putin has tried to keep out reports, for example, of, of their um, bombing a maternity hospital and doing other kinds of outrageous things. But um, so now this teacher is being investigated for causing grave consequences uh, under the censorship law and, again, punishable, punishable by up to 15 years in prison. So the teacher, this teacher is 45, and she said she found little support among her students or from her school, and she quit her job. She didn't wait for her school to be to fire her. This teacher quit her job. Um, she said that when she felt, when she talked in her class about her opposition to the war, she felt hatred towards her radiating from some of her students. Quote, my point of view did not resonate in the hearts and minds of basically anyone. So, you know, this um, dichotomy, this spurring of, um, of Russians to be against each other and to report each other, um, of course, is is very dangerous, not just for uh, the people who are reported, but for Russia itself. Uh, you know, d d uh, dividing, just like in America, the divisions in America are uh, destroying America. Now these divisions in Russia are destroying Russia. Now here's a story, another um, story of an example of someone who was turned in. This was in Moscow. And the name of the person is Mr. Grachev. And he is a computer repair store owner. Um, 
he had he put a no no he put uh he he put a text no to war um he put that on a screen behind his counter in his computer repair store no to war and um he said he found it remarkable that not one of his hundreds of customers threatened to turn him in for this sign until finally somebody did um now and and during the war during the ukraine uh, war um he had to double the price of his services because of western sanctions um you know that made that made things more difficult for him in some way made his computer was somehow affecting his computer repair uh business and so that angered some of his customers and um he said you know instead many people thanked him for putting this no to war sign uh in his shop but now <laughs> they were all very nice until one day one man uh turned him in and he was a passerby that Mr. Grachev refers to as Grandpa, um, who, you know, who was apparently a customer, and he warned the employees of the computer repair shop that they were violating the law. This Grandpa uh, warned the computer shop employees. And um, Mr. Grachev, who's 35, said he thought that he believes that this man, the Grandpa, was convinced that he was doing his civic duty by reporting the store to the police. And, um, you know, he's trying, he's a really nice man. He's trying to sort of give this grandpa uh, the benefit of the doubt. So Mr. Krejcev was fined 100,000 rubles, which is more than $1,200. And um, a Moscow politician wrote about the case on social media including Mr. Grachev's bank details for anyone who wanted to help. Enough money to cover the fine arrived within two hours. So he received 250,000 rubles. His fine was only 100,000. Um, and this was from about 250 separate donations. So they were small donations, but, you know, they added up to a lot. And he plans to donate the extra um, to a company or an organization, OVD Info, which gave him legal aid. So he said, in practice, we see that not everything is so bad. Um, he's now, oh, this is good. He's, he's pondering how to replace his no to war sign. You know, clearly he can't still have that or he's going to keep being fined. So he's, he's thinking of writing instead, quote, there was a sign here for which a 100,000 ruble fine was imposed. <laughs> now, clearly, there are enough people who know the story that they will know what the sign said. I think that's pretty clever. All right. I know I kind of went on and on about this, but um, it's really a very interesting development that's happening in Russia. When we come back, I will talk about some other things that are happening uh, in the world of terror uh, around the world. And, you know, that really is not getting very much attention in America um, for a change. All right. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Ripley's Believe It or Not, 
from Russia to terrorist threats. Well, we just did Russia, and those are pretty, uh, some unbelievable stories, very interesting stories. It's going to um, continue to be interesting to see how that unfolds. You know, I was talking about how um, there's this division in America, too, and actually Russia was, this is part of Russia's war on America, which has been going on <laughs> way before, um, way before, uh, well, we know about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but, but even in the years before this Ukraine war, Russia has quietly been doing quite a number of things to continue to wage its war on America. And one of the things that it has been doing has been um, trying to divide America. In other words, being behind some of the groups that are currently and have been actually for a while, we just haven't been noticing, you know, some of the things going on in schools and so on. Um, they have been behind trying to divide America. And it's kind of ironic um, that now they are getting a taste of their own medicine, not from the U.S., but from their own, I mean, it's their own fault. It's Putin's own fault from um, waging the, because of his waging the war in Ukraine and the Russian people being divided pro and con. Okay, so let's talk about some other things that are going on that are kind of um, unbelievable. Ripley's. <laughs> worthy of Ripley's. Um, as you may have heard, uh, Katanji Brown Jackson, who just uh, got um, uh, confirmed uh, to be a Supreme Court justice, much to my consternation, I have been trying to, uh, been doing lots of media interviews and writing things and so on, um, explaining, trying to explain why this would be a disaster for America. Uh, I don't know if Putin is behind her, <laughs> is behind her nomination. Could be, maybe that's part of part of their plan. Um, I mean, it was Biden, of course, who nominated her, but um, it's very, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's getting more and more complicated to know where these things are really coming from. But in any case, um, Ketanji Brown Jackson is, is, really another nail in the coffin um, because, because of what she is going to try to do on the Supreme Court. And, you know, anybody who says anything negative about her, whether it is or whether it was some of the people in, uh, um, in the Senate, um, who particularly in the confirmation hearings when they were asking her hard questions, um, any, if you say anything negative about her, you're accused of being a racist. So let me um, say up front that it is not about her being black and certainly not about her being a woman that I find fault in her. It is about her being a liar. When she was asked hard questions in the confirmation hearings, she either lied directly or fudged or somehow got out of answering altogether. And um, it blows my mind that more people um, in the Senate did not speak out about this and that they were able to get enough votes. Now, of course, I know that, uh, you know, there's all kinds of politics involved, people who want to make Biden happy and so on. But but just because you're black and just because you're a woman doesn't mean you get away with um, 
with lying. And, um, you know, the most obvious things that people were talking about was her saying that she couldn't define a woman. I mean, you know, so what does that say? It's not just a lie. Um, I mean, she, she's Harvard educated. Somehow, I think at some point in her life, probably much earlier than that, she learned what a woman was. And um, and just because one is Harvard educated also does not mean that they should automatically be sworn in as a chief justice. I was Harvard educated. <laughs> one one uh, organic chem, one summer school in college, I took organic chem. So you could say I was Harvard educated. <laughs> I don't expect to be uh, sworn in for a position in the Supreme Court, although it would be interesting. Um, but anyhow, uh, so there were lots of things that her background, I mean, there's things about pedophiles, um, that she gave low, uh, very light sentences to pedophiles and very light sentences to people who were found with pornography and who were, uh, spreading pornography and, um, and and really, when I say lying, some of the um, of the most obvious examples, and how she could do this to a to an auditorium, a room filled with you know um, educated people, maybe not all from Harvard, but uh, smart people, or supposedly, um, and she just lied to their face when she said that even though she was on the board of a school. Um, I, I think it was called the Georgetown Day School, that um, that she didn't know, she was on the school board, and she didn't know that there were books um, at this school, private school, in which the teaching of uh, critical race theory was done, even to very young children, and she didn't know about all the uh, radical sex education that was going on in this school. She told them, oh, you know, on the board, you don't know these things. We don't have any control over that, which is just an outright lie. And she said some of these things early on in her testimony and how they continued. I mean, I I watched some of it, and um, and and the uh, some senators had proof. They brought proof. Um, one, for example, Ted Cruz brought in uh, a, a, a board, a, um, a show and tell kind of thing with the books and with the um, you know pictures, and I mean other other um, senators did too. So they proved to the other people in black and white that um, that she was lying, and yet people just pretended that they didn't see that. You know, the emperor they didn't pretend they didn't see that the emperor had no clothes. And they voted for her. Now, what does this have to do with terrorism? Well, one of the things that wasn't actually very much um, uh, talked about in the media was the fact that she, um, when she was working as a, um, a, a um, as an, well, as an attorney, of course, or as a, um, uh, what's the word I'm trying to say, a uh, she was working as an attorney, but I'm trying to think of the word that I mean. I will come up with it in a minute. Um, she was an attorney, in any case, for hardened jihadis. Um, she got, in other words, she got her testimony, her her um, being an attorney for prisoners in Guantanamo, got them released. And she, when she did this, 
she accused the government of all sorts of ethics and human rights violations. She went beyond the call of duty to defend her terror, uh, the, the terrorists. And um, uh, it was reported, let's see. It was reported that, um, quote, I'm going to, uh, it was reported in the Geller report that someone, in fact, uh, outed her and said, quote, President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court represented suspected terrorists when she was a federal public defender. That was the word I was trying to think of. You would think uh, I would. Okay. Um President Biden's nominee for the Supreme Court represented suspected terrorists when she was a federal public defender, going well beyond a bare-bones defense to lambast the U.S. government for some of its counterterrorism policies and broader approach to the war on terror. So um, she she got this terrorist who was named Kiali Gull um, free. And the Defense Department said he was a Taliban intelligence officer in charge of a terrorist cell planning to attack a U.S. base in Afghanistan in 2002. He may have also met with Osama bin Laden in November of 2001. Um, the Defense Department said that if he was released, uh, this terrorist would immediately, quote, seek out prior associates and re-engage in hostilities and extremist support activities. And of course, the terrorist, Gold, said that he was innocent. He said he had a job in the Afghan government and helped Americans. Um, and so she said, um, uh, the um, Katanji uh, Brown Jackson said in 2012, in all of those situations, the views that were expressed were the views of my clients that I represented in that capacity. And the briefs did not necessarily represent my personal views with regard to the war on terror or anything else. Now, really, lady, I mean, yes, it is true that attorneys have to protect or defend, uh, you know, their clients' interests. But um, certainly from everything else that we know about her, it seems that these interests were consonant, were connected, or were, that, that she thinks the same thing. Same thing with CRT, same thing with um, radical um, uh, sex, sex education and all of that, uh, pornography, all of that. And so now that she is going to be a, a, a justice in the Supreme Court, it is very dangerous because there are going to be lots of cases that come to the Supreme Court that involve all of these issues. So um, let me just, uh, you know, in case you're thinking, which you probably aren't if you're listening to this, you probably have known, uh, have or listened to other podcasts, and by now you know um, that hundreds of released Guantanamo detainees are back to killing Americans. I mean, we know this already. There are statistics. Um, for example, uh, there are 229, at least 229, supposedly rehabilitated former Guantanamo detainees who have returned to terrorism and killing Americans. 
and 66% of them haven't been recaptured and are still at large. Um, they are one in three of the released detainees have gone back to fighting against America, and some have actually managed to kill more Americans. So these are the people. I mean, so so what does that say about Katanji Brown Jackson? She doesn't know these uh, statistics. Um, they didn't teach that in Harvard. <laughs> um, they have these these uh, terrorists who have been released have done such things, after they were released, have done such things as conducting and planning attacks and recruiting and funding terrorists. And um, and it would be this percentage, um, their, their recidivism rate is 31%, and it would be even higher if the U.S. intelligence included uh, engaging in anti-U.S. statements or propaganda in its definition of terrorist activities. In other words, if if you count that too, there is even a higher percentage of the ones who were released who went back to terrorist activities. So, you know, I can, there, there are more examples. For, for example, um, you know, they, they these, um, these uh, terrorists in Guantanamo have given all kinds of excuses, like they have to go back to care for their ill father or their ill mother. And they have been, um, many of them have been released with these very um, wishy-washy, fraudulent uh, excuses. So I guess I know I'm going on. There are so many, I mean, it's just that I've been concentrating, and as we all have, on the Russian-Ukraine war. And in the meantime, there have been so many things having to do with real terrorists, <laughs> And I mean, not to say that I know some consider what Russia is doing terrorism in, in a different sort. Um, but in any case, um, there really is. Don't think while we're looking at Russia and Ukraine, there are still plenty of things going on around the world in regard to terrorism. So when we come back, I will tell you a few more. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Terrorist Therapist Show, where we're talking today about Ripley's Believe It or Not, From Russia to Terrorist Threats. I know, I, your head may be spinning now. I'm throwing a lot out here, but it's such interesting stuff. I couldn't narrow it down more than I am doing. Um, okay, so the next, here, here is a bunch of other uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not kinds of stories. Um, do you remember... Ayman al-Zawari, does that name ring a bell? He is the leader of al-Qaeda. He is the one who took over the leadership of al-Qaeda after Osama bin Laden was killed in 2011. And um, we haven't been hearing from him in the last two years. So there have been rumors about him that he was ill, or de dead, um, and he just came out of um, hiding, or <laughs> I guess you could say hiding, or whatever he was doing. Um, and so the, the rumors of his death were greatly exaggerated. He came out, it was kind of a strange reason why he came out, he did a, a video 
um, he was he showed himself in a video, and um, and he he was talking about something that just happened. So in other words, your people are able to to know that this was a video that he uh, recorded right currently right now, um, because he's talking about something that's happening right now. Now he Zawari um, was rumored to be in the uh, in Afghanistan in the border on the border with Pakistan, but there are also rumors that he is in Pakistan, in Karachi. Um, so nobody knows where he is because, of course, just like Osama bin Laden, he made sure that his background didn't reveal where he was. I mean, I guess all caves look alike. Um, anyhow, um, he reason why he came out – now, now it's interesting, though. Ostens- I'm going to tell you the ostensible reason for why he came out. But he may also, because of something that happened in India, um, but he may also have, have come out because he wants to make the world remember him because of plans that he has to be a little more active. You know, that um, seems more likely the reason um, why he did this video. But in any case, um, he the, the theoretically or hypothetically or uh, the reason was supposed to be we're supposed to think that the reason was that he was openly declaring his support for the hijab movement in India. And that's because in India, a girl came out in her class um, and she, you know, started uh, yelling, uh, Allahu, Ak- Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Um, Inside this, inside her, you know, God is great, inside her her school. And this was because there was a ban in the part of India where she is, um, where um, where there, there's a ban against the Islamic headscarf. So this girl, Muskan Khan, she defied this ban. And she wore a hijab in um, in, in her school, and she um, and she started, you know, sh- shouting. Um, and so somehow or other, Zawari found out about this somehow or other. I'm sure he has. He knows what's going on. Um, no matter, even if he is in a cave, um, he so he wanted to come out and and praise her. You know, he praised her courage for doing that. Um, and this is now showing people it's the first proof that he is alive. Um, so why is this, you know, why is this interesting? Because, again, the main reason isn't so much because this girl um, spoke out against the ban of the um, hijab. It's that... Um, I think the, the the deeper meaning meaning or reason is because he's reminding people, hello, um, Al Qaeda still exists, and um, and of course it's a question for the Taliban. This is making things a little more difficult for the Taliban because the Taliban had agreed uh, with the U.S. Um, to 
to not, uh, in which they, they promised to fight, they made an agreement with the United States in 2020 in which they promised to fight terrorists. Now, um, and, and since they've returned to power, since uh, Biden's uh, debacle of a um, of taking um, troops out of Afghanistan, they have repeated that Afghanistan would not be used as a launching pad for attacks against other countries. Now, if you believe that, please contact me because I have a bridge I would like to sell you. Okay, talking about the Taliban, they have just, and this is another reason why I say that their promise is not going to hold water, um, they have replaced the Afghan flag with a flag reading, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. So even though some people are saying that uh, the Taliban has nothing whatsoever to do with Islam, uh, which is which they say or uh, which some people say is a noble religion of peace, in fact, the Taliban has banned the Afghan tricolor flag. They, now that they have taken over, they've issued a decree banning the official tricolor flag of the internationally recognized Afghan government. That was a black, red, and green flag. And they replaced it with the white flag of the Islamic Emirate. Um, they are decreeing that all government agencies in, the, in Afghanistan and abroad must now use the white colored Taliban flag with a black ink Islamic scripture reading, there is no God but Allah, and Mohammed is his prophet. And it also, the decree prohibits the Taliban officials from appearing in public with the Afghan flag. Now, the Afghan people had been requesting that the Taliban not change the flag because it belongs to no leader and no faction, they say, but to the nation. But of course, the Taliban, you know, thinks otherwise. Um, the Taliban's acting minister of foreign affairs <coughs> said that the Islamic Emirate is inclusive, yeah, right, and has fulfilled all the requirements and it should be recognized by the international community. Um, so apparently, um, this, you know, this, I mean, little by little, they are taking control of the country and of the funds that other countries like the U.S. are foolishly donating. I mean, you know, um, the U.N., the U.S., people are donating and countries are donating money to Afghanistan because of, to help the poor Afghanistan people. But do you think this money goes to feed the Afghanistan people? Of course not. It goes to uh, to the Taliban flag, to make new flags. Now, another story. Um, this is closer to home. Apparently, the, um, the um, Amtrak trains have um, asked the TSA to uh, conduct a study of the passengers on Amtrak. They want to, to compare the passengers um, with a, the, um, the list of terrorists. Um, there is a screening program um, 
they are compared for the time. Well, if this first came out actually as uh, it, it was first reported as a program that Amtrak was going to do, and you know that created quite a lot of fear, uh, particularly the Council on American Islamic Relations, you know, CARE, C-A-I-R. Um, they got all their panties got all twisted, and um, they said they're going to sue. Uh, Amtrak if they if they start screening the travelers against the government's terrorist watch list. Of course, the problem is, or not the problem, but it turns out, I mean, I guess the problem for them, although, is that, in fact, it has already been done um, on a number of, um, comparing a number of Amtrak passengers. Um, so, but, but CARE is saying they're still going to, uh, they think they're still going to file a lawsuit to challenge it. That's what CARE does best. It files lawsuits, you know, at the slightest um, alleged um, or anticipated uh, discrimination. So um, they worry about, they said that they're going to file a lawsuit because they're worried about watch list mistakes. They're worried about profiling of Muslim Americans and harassment by officers with the, by the TSA. And, and the leader of CARE said, um, we hope that Amtrak and TSA will come to its senses. And rather than expand an ineffective discriminatory program, do something better with their time. Um, but as I said, now it comes out that they are going to, uh, that they have already done uh, some research into that. And um, presumably depending upon the uh, results of that, they may do some further. Now, supposedly, this uh, research that they've done has not named names. Um, like, in other words, when they compared the Amtrak passengers to the terrorist watch list, they supposedly, at least as of yet, have not told the names to Amtrak of the people who are on both lists. But that really kind of makes no sense because if they're going to be using this in the future to screen passengers, obviously they will have to um, know the names. Um, but presumably this is first to see just how big of a problem it is. I mean, in other words, if it turns out that there aren't a lot of people who are using Amtrak who are on the terrorist watch list, then perhaps they won't do a major um, have TSA screening Amtrak passengers, which is really would be, you know, I mean, if, if, if you think it's difficult at the airports with TSA, can you imagine uh, for trains? Because people don't usually arrive for trains with enough, with as much um, lead time as they do to an airport. So it really would be a huge inconvenience. On the other hand, we don't really want uh, terrorists using Amtrak, do we? Um, now, the 9-11 Commission report cautioned that even though um, that airplanes are a target, certainly, uh, we've seen that, uh, for terrorists, the report cautioned, quote, opportunities to do harm are as great or greater in maritime or surface transportation. So, um, 
So Congress is saying, you know, they were kind of uh, surprised to find that they had already done begun this research and begun this program, and they're saying they want to have, they want to be involved. They don't want Amtrak to go off, <laughs> go down the tracks on their own, so to speak. Um, okay, but here's some good news. <laughs> uh, in a territory that is administered by India, um, it is no longer glamorous to become a terrorist in Jammu and Kashmir, which are territories territories administered by India. So let's just think of them as India. So um, an army commander, Lieutenant General uh, Pandey, is um, has been announcing, has been looking at the research in terms of the numbers, the statistics as far as who is becoming a terrorist and how many and how many how many are joining, um, being recruited by terrorist organizations and how many are being killed. Um, and he has come to the conclusion that India is on the cusp of a transition as it's lost the glamour, terrorism has lost the glamour that was once associated with it. And he's saying that white-collar terrorists um, and white-collar terrorists are um, are common people who do their daily business as usual, but clandestinely work for brainwashing young minds on behalf of terror groups. So he is saying that white-collar terrorists are now desperately trying to lure into their ranks adolescents who may not have the maturity yet to judge right from wrong. So he's saying that in the past, um, people have been trying to recruit uh, those who are between 20 and 25 to become terrorists, but they are realizing that those ages um, are have become have begun to understand that violence leads to nowhere. And so there is a lower number of terror recruits. And um, in addition, there have been 330 terrorists who were killed or surrendered since January in this, in the, um, in the uh, statistics that he is looking at. Now that's not worldwide. Um, that is in his in his area. I don't know whether he's talking about India or just talking about Jammu and Kashmir. But in any case, a large number, a high. There's been a high in the number of terrorists who have been killed or surrendered, and there's been a low in the number of terrorists who are. I mean, the number of people who are willing to be recruited to become terrorists. So that is how he is um, coming to the conclusion that for some people. Um, Terrorism has lost its glamour, and um, he is trying to reach younger people, you know, the ones who are now um, being targeted to become terrorists, and he um, he's t trying to get them to follow the right path leading to an upright life and inspire others to join the path of peace and progress. Um, so these white-collar terrorists have been aiming at, at teens 16 to 19 who, don't, who can't judge right from wrong and who are more easily um, convinced to become terrorists. 
So that's, I don't know, a, a, a bit of good news um, compared to everything else that I have been telling you. I know it's a lot, but it's just, I guess the main point is that while we are watching um, Russia and Ukraine, those and, and wondering whether Putin's going to push the button, there are also other things. Terrorists have not stopped. <laughs> they are not sitting in front of television sets watching Putin um, or Zelensky, for that matter. They are um, still going about their business of um, of planning to overtake the West. So thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.